Hello, I'm Rick Lancaster. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bible as we study through God's Word together. It's my hope that as we go through these messages that we will all grow in our understanding of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding, we'll also be better equipped to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith ours and others. If you have any questions about anything in this teaching, send me a message. I would love to connect with you. With that said, let's get into the Word and see what the Spirit would say to us today. All right, let's uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we come, and Lord, um, gosh, Lord, we come to a time like this, and and um, yeah, gosh, even this morning, as we talked, as I talked with people, and and we come, and at a time like this, emotions get uh, they get magnified at a time like this, Lord. And we're so thankful, Lord God, um, of the additions of uh, to our families this this year. We're thankful, Lord God, we had uh, a couple of babies just a, a little over a week ago. Um, and uh, Lord, we're also mindful that there were losses this year as well. So while we rejoice those those additions, we also we also mourn those losses. And we pray, Lord, that in we're we're in this time where we 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 focus on the birth of Christ. It always it always has to keep us. It always has to redirect our eyes at some point that you came, Jesus to ultimately to go to the cross and die for our sins. And so there's a sense of, of balance of, of birth and death that is throughout the scriptures and throughout the gospel message and throughout the, the, the theology of God. And so we ask, Lord, as we take this time that where um, you tell us that to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Lord, we take this opportunity to remind ourselves that, that both of those things are going on. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us that peace that surpasses understanding as we settle our hearts and to hear what you would say to your church. I pray for uh, a, 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 an overflow of your spirit, Lord God, first in me, Lord God, that I might be able to communicate your words to your people, but Lord, also, Lord, that your people would um, be overflown by the Holy Spirit as well to receive, and not to receive only, but to receive and obey whatever, whatever it is that you give them this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you are and do, and we lift up this morning to you in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Jeffrey and the team. Last week I called him Jeremy, so... I'm publicly recanting that error. Recanting? That's not right. Is that right? I'm correcting that error. All right. Thank you, Joe, or whatever your name is. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Somebody say amen. It, it, he is the reason for the season. Christmas is the celebration of Christ Jesus. Celebration of the birth of Christ Jesus. Jesus was a real person. He was born, he lived, and he died about 2,000 years ago. The world has some weird ideas about who Jesus is. If you want to figure it out who he is, we tell you to read the book because it tells us all about him. Everything about Jesus was amazing and wonderful. 
Everything about him was supernatural. But there was also a very natural aspect to him as well. One of the verses that gets quoted often this time of year, I'm sure somebody has either received or given a card with this scripture on it, Isaiah 9, 6, written about 700 years before the birth of Christ, says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a messianic Prophecy. It's a messianic verse. It's speaking of the coming Messiah, the Christ, who we know to be Jesus. These are just some of his titles. You know, if you were paying attention in worship, there are several other titles of, of Christ that were, that were talked about. You know, we, you know, Savior is another one, Messiah, God in the flesh. We've heard those. And we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew I guess it's been a year now, huh? Has it been a year? Anybody keeping track of that? It's been a while. And one of the main objectives of the Gospel of Matthew is to portray Jesus as king, specifically king of the Jews. He's not just king of the Jews, but that was the main theme or message of it. And so for this morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to only be there, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. And if you'd like, please follow along in your Bible. If you don't have one, there's Bibles all around the room. Help yourself. Leave them when you're done. We have free Bibles somewhere. Does them, do we actually know where the free Bibles are? Laura, she gave them all away. All right, I'm lost now. As we celebrate Christmas, we're going to look at a few of the accounts surrounding the birth of King Jesus one of the songs, we played it last week and this week, and we're talking about Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. And that is one of those things that is so amazing. Um, when Larry was commenting on Lord in all caps, if he had been a part of our Tuesday morning Bible study, he would know exactly what that means. Because I, everybody in the Tuesday morning Bible studies, I know what that means. If you, don't, if you don't know, if you don't know, ask them because they'll let you know. <coughs> We spent a little bit of time talking about that. Matthew's gospel begins with a genealogy, and we talked about that at the beginning of the study. We all love genealogies, right? No, go ahead and admit it. Go ahead and admit it. We don't love genealogies. They're hard. The names are difficult to pronounce sometimes, and we ask the question. We always ask the question, why should I care about this? Well, there are some reasons to care about the genealogies. We're not getting into that this morning. But the beginning of Matthew starts with the genealogy of Mary's husband, Joseph. And it's a genealogy that traces all the way back through David, King David. And King David was the king. And one of the prophecies relating to the Messiah was that he would be descended from King David. And so the, the genealogy in Matthew, a, 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 a gospel meant to give us a picture of Jesus as the king of Israel, ultimately the king of the world, was given us so that we would recognize that royal line that he was descended from. After the genealogy, Matthew gives us a brief account of the conception of Christ. So let's just go ahead and read that, if you don't mind, starting in verse 18. 
<clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ, or, or the birth, I should say, is as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, being her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Basically what this saying is that, is that before Joseph was with Mary, Mary got pregnant. That was a very scandalous thing in that time. In that time, it would have, it would have given this, 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 this cloud of doubt and questioning about her honor and, and, and all of that. It, it, was, it, was, it could have been grounds for stoning in that culture and time. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, meaning descended of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and he did not know her, meaning he wasn't with her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus' conception was not natural. It was not normal. Turn to Luke chapter 2, and we'll pick up the account from there. We'll be back in Matthew, uh, Matthew 2 after that, if you want to put your finger there. I don't know how you do that with your devices, but figure it out. In Luke chapter 2, Matthew, he lays out this account to show that, that even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father, he was part of the lineage. We also know the lineage of Mary also goes through David. And so there's the royal bloodline. And then after this brief account in Matthew, we get a fuller account of, of, the, of the life of Jesus or the, or the birth of Jesus from Luke. At the time that Jesus was conceived, Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth, which is in the northern part of Israel, but he couldn't be born there because Micah, a prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, the, the future king of Israel would be born somewhere else. In Matthew 5, excuse me, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Epaphrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old from everlasting. You notice a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the words in that sentence are capitalized. The Tuesday morning study knows exactly what that means. Again, it's speaking of it's speaking of the Messiah. Again, it's point. It's a messianic scripture saying the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We all know that. The, you know the Star of Bethlehem. All the the accounts of that is that is that while Joseph and Mary are living in Nazareth, that's not where Jesus can be married. That's not where he was conceived there. And he would, and Mary would, you know, care, would bring him almost to term, 
But he couldn't be born in, in Nazareth. He had to come down to Bethlehem. The Bible predicted this in Bethlehem, just a few miles from Jerusalem, not very far. And so God providentially arranged it so that they would make the trip from, Beth, or from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, about 70 miles, with Mary bursting. She's f close to full term, rides a donkey 70 miles down to, to Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, this is a long read, so just hang on. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, my Bible's falling apart. That's what I need for Christmas is a new Bible. I don't, I don't read those pages anyways. No, I'm kidding, kidding. Yes, I do. Where is that? Oh, it starts in James. That's some good stuff in there. All right. Where was I? People are distracting me. All the world should be registered. God arranged for how he did it, how he arranges things in the universe is just marvelous to me. You read through the Bible and things which I know that, that before Christ, I was, oh, that was just a coincidence. You ever, you ever heard somebody say, that's just a coincidence. Yeah, God sure arranges a lot of coincidences for his will to be done in the world. This is one of them. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Jesus could not be born in Nazareth. He had to be born in Bethlehem. The Bible said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Did it say that because that's what was going to happen, or did it happen because that's what was written? Say yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of David into Judea to the city of David because, to answer the question, because Bethlehem, the question here, I know you're asking this question, because Bethlehem was where David was born, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Nothing about this king was very noble at this point. When we think about kings, you know, people get all weirded out about the British royal family, like, who cares? But that's another conversation. But this king, he's, he's born of poor parents in a back, he's at least conceived, and, and initially he's, he's in the backwater town of Bethlehem, and then he's born in another tiny little town of Nazareth, then Bethlehem, and not just in Bethlehem, but in in the most humble of environments. You couldn't have pictured or imagined a more humble way for the king of the world to come into existence, for the Messiah, for the savior of the world to come into existence than this. And the theme, this theme of humility, this theme of, 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 of not of not glorifying himself or being glorified in a, in a human way is magnified in, in the first people 
who acknowledge his birth. As the account in, in Luke continues, verse 8. Now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were, they were not highly esteemed in the culture. Even though they served such a vital role, you know, they, they, were, they were often considered to be, you know, to be um, low class, dirty, coarse. They were, they were, you know, they were pretty rough. Verse 9, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, the very first people that hear of the birth of Christ. And the glory of the Lord shone out all around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. That's an animal's food trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I want you to remember that. I'm going to come back to that, to, that, to that response of the shepherds. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told them. Of all the people God would make this announcement to, shepherds would have been low on the list. But you would imagine, in our minds, in our human imagination, we'd be on, you know, on X, formerly known as Twitter, or who knows what, I don't know what we do. You'd be advertising at some place. God goes to the most humble, the lowest esteemed, those that nobody else really cared about, and made the announcement to them. The king has been born. Now, God doesn't act or think like we do, right? Do we acknowledge that? I mean, sometimes he, he does things that we don't even think he should do, or the way we think he should do it, in case you ever do actually think that. Be careful. The good news of the birth of Christ was not just for those of royalty, even though he was royalty of a level that the world has never seen. It was for everyone, starting with the lowest of the low. But eventually, it would get to the, to the palace as well. Turn back to Matthew, Matthew 2. The news of Christ did make it to the palace, but in a very unusual way. One of those ways that we teach on this pretty regularly when, when we come to this time of year, when we put out our nativities, like that one back there, it kind of features this particular account. It's about these guys that traveled a great distance to honor the newborn king of the Jews. 
Matthew 2, chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, if you have a nativity, you know, you, you probably have three wise guys in it, right? Don't we all have that? We have, we have a nativity, has three wise men, and it has been tradition that there were three of them, though we don't know that. The Bible doesn't say that. Could have been more. Not, it would not have been unusual there more. We do that because there were three gifts they brought. And so we acknowledge that there were at least three of them, though we don't even know that for certain. These guys come. And it, and it doesn't matter how many there were. What matters is why they were there. Somehow, they knew something special had happened. The wise men, the, the magi, were philosophers, they were priests, they were astronomers, they, they took signs in the heavens seriously, they studied all these different ancient scrolls from different cultures and religions. And so they had all this information running around. And at some point, something coalesced in all of, this, all of their studies. And they saw something in the heavens and they connected it theoretically to the things they were studying and reading and said, hey, something is going on in Israel. And it's important. It's possible that they had the writing of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, like Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. If you're looking at that, you can see that the words him and, and star and scepter are all capitalized because the, the interpreters believe this is referring to the Messiah. And we do as well. The account of the wise men has always been one of those ones that fascinates me. They, they, these guys who, we don't know what gods they worshiped. We don't know if they were God worshipers. Matter of fact, it's very unlikely that they were God worshipers. They travel what could have been as much as a thousand miles through difficult and dangerous territory to come and to worship this infant based on what they saw. Somehow they knew this was a big deal. God moved in their hearts in such a way to bring these guys. And they're not, they're not, these are not unimportant people. These are important people that make this, this arduous journey to come and spend what the, the, the text appears to us that like a day in Israel. And then they turn around and go home. Yeah, and one of the things it does for me, it causes me to wonder how God is moving in the hearts of people around me. How is he moving in my heart to move me to do something or others to do something toward me or toward those around me? How is God moving? Is he moving? The answer is yes. He's the same God 
2,000 years ago as he is today. He still moves in the heart of men and women, in case you're wondering. He does still move, and he moves us to accomplish his will, even those who appear to be immovable. Though unfortunately, some are immovable, and we see that in our, in our text today as these wise men come to make the announcement to the civil and religious leaders of Israel. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod hears the wise men, said, hey, where is the king of the Jews, the newborn king of the Jews? We want to worship him. That's a problem for Herod. So he asked the religious leaders, hey, where is the, where is the Messiah to be born. I thought it was interesting. The, the Magi referred to him as the king of the Jews, and Herod asked where the Messiah is born. So there's obviously a, 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 an intellectual connection between the two. There is. But he knew that. And one of the sad parts of this account, the religious leader, leaders knew where the Messiah would be born. They already knew where he was supposed to be born. Verse 5. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, I just read this, out of Micah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Slightly different wording than the Micah verse, but it's the same thing. The Messiah, the, 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 the king of Israel, will come out of Bethlehem. Wise men show up, tell them, we've seen this strange star in the heavens. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I hold the conviction it wasn't a star, it was an angel. But that's, a, that's another debate. You can argue with Laura about it if you want to. The king, of the, the king of the Jews has been born. And he asks them, where? Where will the Christ be born? And they tell them. And as far as we can tell in Scripture, nobody goes and checks None of the religious leaders go to determine whether or not it's true. What did the shepherds do? Hey, let's go check this out. This is spectacular. Why didn't the religious people go? Why didn't they make that short journey? It's seven miles, five or seven miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Even in those days, it wouldn't have taken that long to get there. Why didn't they go? Listen, the Christ or the Messiah was promised to the Jews. Their whole idea of the future pivoted around the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. All their hopes and dreams connected to the Messiah. Still to this day, religious Jews waiting for the Messiah. The shepherds heard the announcement, boop, they're gone. They go, I'm going to check this out. The Bible doesn't say why they, don't, why they didn't go. It just makes me sad. It's no different today. Every Christmas, a huge part of the world pauses and reflects, or at least some thought, some, some sense of the reality that anybody that celebrates Christmas, believer or unbelievers, has some idea of what it's pointing to right? Can you, can you have any idea of Christmas and not understand it's referring to the birth of Jesus, the Savior, whether you believe it or not? 
Some might respond like Herod. Herod felt threatened by the idea of, of a king. He was the king. And so if another king was born, what did that mean for him? It was a threat to his authority, a threat to his power. And one of the realities of Christ, when Christ comes into our lives, there can be only one king. That's what Herod thought. There can be only one king, and it is me, he would say. When Christ comes into our life, it's the same thing. There can be only one king. Either Jesus is or you are. To receive Christ, we must be willing to step down off the throne of our lives and let Jesus take that place. If you're unwilling to do that, and for some, that's an impossible thing to ask. They are so focused on themselves, so focused on who they are and their authority in their lives. You don't tell me how to live. I will be king of my life. <clears throat> Another reality of Christ is that when he comes into someone's life, that life changes. Anybody say, I recognize that? I can tell you right now, I'm not the same man I was before I got saved. I'm different. When Christ came into my life, the course of my life changed. I'm not the same man I was. And I'm, I am convinced that as a result of Christ being in my life, I am a better man than I was, as well as all the other titles that I hold. I'm better at that because Christ is in my life. But I had to let him have that authority and that place in my life. The religious leaders didn't respond to the fact that the Christ had been born. If he had been, what would that mean for them? It would change everything. All the things they were doing, all of their religion, all of the stuff that they were focused on, all of it would change. They knew that. For some people, the thought of Jesus asking them to change something about their life is too much. Not going to change. I don't want to change. I'm good the way that I am. For some, like the wise men, once they understand, hey, there's something big going on. Let's go find out what it is. What are the, and the, the shepherds, same thing. There's something going on. Let's go see what it is. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Very peculiar behavior for a star. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. As I said, we have no idea actually how long they were in the area, but it doesn't appear it was very long. 
Imagine, I always tell you, try to put yourself into the account as much as you can. You know, God gave us an imagination, let's use it. Try to imagine being there with baby Jesus, and all of a sudden, pew, 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 you know, these three wise guys show up, and they're like, they're like they, you can tell they're probably, you know, they were probably dressed like important people, and they come in and they worship their infant, right? Imagine somebody coming in and worshiping your infant, most of you just want to break from them, right? Just kidding. We love our babies. And they give them these very valuable gifts. Now, now they had heard, the angel had announced to them who this, this baby was going to be, that he wasn't just going to be a baby. He's not just one of their children. He was, in fact, going to be more than that. But still, this baby was special. We celebrate Christmas not just because Jesus was special. Not just because he was born. That's a, that's a pretty immense thing, a pretty amazing thing that God would take on human flesh. If you can ever actually understand that, please come and explain it to me because I really would like to understand it better. Because what his life means to us, what does the life of Christ mean to us individually. His birth is important and we should celebrate it, but not apart from the reality of what that, what that life means and what it ultimately led to. We cannot separate Christmas from Easter. The two of them are absolutely connected to one another. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, was born to save sinners. How did he do that? He did that on the cross. We give gifts, right? We give gifts. Don't, are you, anybody not giving gifts this year? Don't tell me about it because I'm still hoping to get some. <laughs> Kidding. We give gifts because God has given us a gift. He's given us the gift of the forgiveness of sins. He's given us the gift of the hope of eternal life. He's given us so many gifts, the very breath in our lungs and the blood that's flowing through our body is a gift from God. Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was born, he was king. He was king before he was born. He was king at his birth. He was king as he walked on this earth. He was king when he died, and he was king when he was raised again, and he will be king when he comes back again. He's king. His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. We don't see that kingdom. We don't see that kingdom in the world around us. The, way, the place you see the kingdom of heaven is in the heart of every believer. That's where the kingdom of heaven is operating. That's where the kingdom of heaven can be seen. That's where the kingdom of heaven is manifesting in the world today. Someday, Jesus will come back. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on. He's coming back. And when he does, he will establish his kingdom on this earth. And when he does, 
Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says this, Therefore God also highly exalted him, Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As believers, we don't wait for this day. As believers, we don't wait for the day when Jesus comes back and the world must bow to him. We choose to do that today in our hearts. We bow to him every day. We confess him every day, first in our hearts, and ultimately it needs to come out of our mouth and out of our actions. The kingdom of heaven is already here. In your heart, in the heart of every other believer. On this Christmas, let us rejoice. As we're giving gifts, let's give gifts. Let us rejoice, not just in that, that material stuff, but let us rejoice in the true gifts, the most precious of gifts, the gifts of of Christ, the, the forgiveness of sin, the, 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 the power over sin, the, the, the hope of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. Let us rejoice in those gifts. But also, let us renew our fealty to the King, Jesus the Christ. Fealty is an old world, old word. We don't use it very much. I always imagine a knight kneeling before a, a sovereign. Every time I hear this word fealty, it means a formal acknowledgement of loyalty to a lord. Now, concerning the governments that we have in our world today, we don't do a lot of fealty pledges, right? Jesus, King Jesus is our lord. And as our lord, he deserves, not just deserves, but demands our loyalty that when we, when we go about our day, go about our life, go about our celebrations, our family meals, and our gatherings, we must never lose sight of the fact that we are celebrating the birth of our king. Not our future king, our present real king today. We should include in our celebration a reminder of our fealty to the king. A recommitment, if we must, of loyalty to the king. Everything he's done, he's done for us. We should rejoice in those things. And we should rejoice that the promises he's given us are true and real and present. As we rejoice, let us do it with, with joy and and. and and just let it, just enjoy the, the, the fruit of this life that God has given us to the fullness. But at the same time, let us not lose sight of who he is. He is our king. He deserves our loyalty. And he deserves our loyalty in everything that we do. If Jeffrey would come back up and you guys are gonna play one last song for us? Okay, good. And I'm gonna pray. And I'm going to ask, um, just, to, just open your hearts. Because we can get distracted. 
on this day, in this season. It should be a time of joy and rejoicing, and, and, and we should never, never minimize or, or forget that. But let's not, let's not forget what it's all about. Why? Why is this a time to rejoice? So let's, let's focus our hearts as I pray and ask God if he would just check us to make sure that we've, we've got our hearts in the right place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that as we take this time and, and, and look at the, your birth, Jesus, Lord, everything about this account is remarkable, is amazing, is miraculous. And as I've said frequently recently, that we've got to pause and allow the wonder of who you are and what you've done, the wonder of these accounts, the wonder of the miracles, the wonders of the providence, the wonders of, of you work, of God working in the world around us to accomplish his will in ways that are not natural, not normal. And we should never read these accounts and say, oh yeah, that, yeah, that's what happened. Oh yeah, big deal. Three guys travel a thousand miles, big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's amazing. It's wondrous. And I pray, Lord, that you'd stir in our hearts a sense of awe and wonder at all that you did to bring our Savior into the world. And not just bring him into the world, but to, to bring him um, through that life and ultimately to be the sacrifice for our sins that we might have the greatest gift of all, and that's eternal life with you. In the absence of sin, forgiven of sins, and Lord, as we, as we sit and stand here today, we do so recognizing that if we're believers here today, that we've already received the gift of forgiveness of sins. That we do have the, the, the power within us to overcome sin. And that, Lord, we can live with the promise of heaven. But Lord, you would have us to share those gifts with others. And so I pray, Lord, that we would, we would celebrate but we do it in such a way that others would know that there's a reason why we celebrate that may be different than the way the rest of the world celebrates. We're celebrating the birth of our king. And right now, Lord God, I stand before you and I pledge my fealty to you, God, to you, Lord Jesus. You are my king. And we give you authority over our lives to guide us, to, to command us in whatever way you choose. We do that knowing that anything you ask us to do, anything you want us to do is good, even if we don't like it very much. And so I ask, Lord God, for a special touch upon each and every one of us that we would pledge that, that commitment of loyalty to you, and then we'd keep it. And we'd be loyal in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, in our relationships, in our faith, that everything about us would, would point to the reality that, Jesus, you are our king. We celebrate your birth, Jesus. Help us to do it in a way that glorifies God and blesses others. And Lord, if anyone's here and they've not received that gift of salvation. Anyone watching online who has not received that free gift of salvation, it wasn't free. It cost you everything, God. It cost you the life of your son. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would, that those, if there's someone here that needs to open their heart, they would do so right this very moment, recognizing that, that they can try to be king of their lives or queen, depending, but ultimately it'll never get them to what they really want. It'll never get them to a life that's good. The only life that is good is the one where you are king. So help us. If you're here today and you've never humbled your heart before God, you've never received Christ as your Savior, today is the day to do it. God has given you so much, and he wants to give back to you the most precious gift of all. And so we pray, I pray, Lord, for those that might need to give, that, give that, their hearts to you, that they would do so now, knowing that what they'll get in return is infinitely greater than what they give. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that now. I pray, Lord, for all of your people. Bless them during this time. I pray, Lord, that our celebrations would be joyous. I pray that they would be Christ-centered. And I pray, Lord God, through all of it, that you'd be glorified. We love you for this day. And I pray, Lord, for your special touch on all of your people and that you would bless them mightily. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. It's one of my core beliefs that the Bible or Word of God has the power to transform our lives. It's my hope that these messages will help you to do just that and to glorify God and bless others and grow faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with me. You'll find ways to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to my sermon notes and other resources to help you in your study of God's Word. Sometimes we do need help to grow in our faith. If there's anything that I can do, don't hesitate to connect with me. I love talking to God's people about God and his word. So send me your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. This message was shared at Calvary Chapel French Valley in Murrieta, California. If you'd like more information about the church, go to calvaryfv.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, Stay in the Word and have a radical week with Jesus.